Good evening, everyone. It's Pastor Devin again here uh, from the Memorial to the Unborn. Uh, this is truly, it's truly a day organized by God. That's all I can say. And um, we are just here again. Um, last week I was here just uh, giving you a virtual tour and leading us in prayer. And, and God has just connected uh, me with two very special individuals you'll be hearing from. Uh, Mike Jennings, who is an adoption lawyer here in Chattanooga, that I didn't even know his connection. Um, to this story and the formation of the National Memorial to the Unborn. Um, and, and maybe you've already heard his testimony. And then um, someone new that I want to introduce you to today. Um, so um, Mike Jennings brought something today. Uh, we didn't get to it in his interview. Um, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, I, I can't even believe I get to hold it. But if you see these incredible file folders, uh, they are a little beat up because they're originals. Uh, the yellow, orange, blue, they are originals um, from this place when it was an abortion clinic here in Chattanooga, and he was able to buy them uh, when they were auctioned off. And what is so unique about these file folders, um, what Mike told us, was that the women who came here as clients of the abortion clinic were nameless and faceless. And so the way they were identified was not by their name, but by a color and a number. In other words, there could be lady who was orange number two. This represents a real file folder of someone who was orange number two or yellow number 10. Um, and that's how they were called out of the waiting room. It was such an impersonal process. And again, if you've seen the movie Unplanned, it kind of takes you through that. Um, and I think we're going to hear a little bit more about that process today. But what I brought these file folders out here for was that uh, Mike brought them today for his interview uh, to share them with us. But God brought an actual file folder here, a real human being, someone that is not nameless and not faceless, but a person that is behind one of these colored numbered folders. And I am so honored, beyond honored, to introduce to you today Sheila Harper. And I'm just so excited that you're here, Sheila. You're such a brave, brave individual uh, to be in this place. I'm going to hand that to you. Um, I was connected with Sheila through a mutual friend, uh, Amy Pilgrim. You all know Amy, um, this week. And um, she runs a very powerful ministry. I have it here called Save One. You can actually connect with her. I'll, I'll post this um, at saveone.org. Um, and she has um, a heart to help men, women, and families deal with the aftermath and the reality of abortion. Um, but what's so powerful about Sheila's life is she was one of those file folders here in our own city. And for the Lord to bring this connection in just a week, it's just an honor that I can't explain. Um, and your example and your courage is exactly what we needed to hear. Um, I think I said it between those original doorways of the clinic, that this is an Esther moment. And I am sitting with a real life Esther right now. Um, because I said to you, what made Esther's voice so powerful is she was a Jew. And because she was a Jew, given a, a voice of authority, she was able to speak up for the deliverance of the Jews. And uh, I called, I said, I called out for women who have been affected by abortion uh, to begin to have courage and speak up and be of influence uh, to the church and to other women out there. And I am standing with an, or sitting with an Esther right now um, who actually has been through this process and can speak with such an authority that I don't have. She has a very incredible book called Is There Not a Cause? And from my understanding, this is one of several books, right? And, and, and Bible studies. Uh, but she 
was at a church this morning and sold out. Um, these things are available, and they're weapons. They are weapons for you and your household um, to, for the Lord to be able to bring freedom and deliverance in your life, especially um, if you have walked the path of abortion. And so today, I just want to give megaphone to her story. I think that uh, there are women watching right now. She is going to be a life-saving instrument in the hand of the Lord for your life. And for some of you that aren't sure where you stand on this issue, I think today you need to hear from someone like Sheila, who's been on both sides and, and can share from her heart, her experience, and the truth that she has learned. And so, Sheila, I just thank you. I uh, thank you for being truthful and transparent and just being an anointed woman and Esther to really speak up when you could be probably very criticized uh, for your testimony, your story. Um, I'm sure your ministry came at a great cost to you, but thank you uh, for on behalf of all women who need this type of freedom. Yes, <laughs> we're excited to have her here. And it's funny because Sheila, you and Mike got to meet today and it was an incredible connection. Yeah. So I just want to start by saying, Sheila, tell us, tell us what this place means to you and where your journey starts here. And I just, I'll stop you if I have a question, but I just want you to tell us why are we sitting here today? What does this place mean to you? Well, yes, stop anytime you want to, but uh, I am very honored to be here and to be called a hero. I'm not a hero. I am simply a girl who had an abortion, and being back on this ground is um, always difficult. This is holy ground because this is where my daughter lost her life. When I was 19, my friend drove me. We, I can take you to the parking spot. The parking lot is still the same. We parked on March 29, 1985. And I came in those front doors and I walked to the registration table. All they wanted was cash. There was no ID. There was no, you know, not like a normal surgery where you go in and, and you have to, to show all your papers. And, but they just wanted the cash, and I, I signed in with a fake name, wow. and I gave them my $250. And the girl at the front desk said, well, you'll be called back for your counseling in a moment. And I remember at that moment, I was 19, and I remember thinking, why didn't I think of that earlier? Counseling, that's what I need, because there was, there's never a time in my 19 years that I thought, I would be having an abortion on that day. No little girl ever thinks that she's going to grow up and have an abortion. And so there I was. And when she said counseling, I had so much hope because I thought, that's what I need. I need counseling. Somebody older than me who knows more and has wisdom is going to, going to speak into my life and tell me an alternative, anything besides having an abortion. And so I sat down, and I was almost excited because I didn't want to be in this place. It was a horrible place. It had a horrible smell. It felt horrible being here. There's no other word to describe it. And so I sat down, and I even told my friend, I'm going to get counseling. We're going to go back for counseling. I was so excited. And so when they called my fake name, I went, and I, I, I went back into this room. And I remember walking into the room, and... It, it, the only way I know to describe it is I felt like I was walking into an upright coffin because the lady behind the desk was so cold and so empty. And, and I, I sat down, but I still thought, I'm going to get counseling. She's a counselor. 
and that word just wouldn't get out of my mind. And, and so I sat down and I just burst into tears because I, I thought this is my chance to tell someone that I don't want to be here. That I want any alternative besides this. And so I burst into tears and she said, do you want to have this abortion? And I, I, th I mean, through my sobbing, I said, I don't know any other choice. And then she took out a little card and she wrote a number two, just like those file folders. And she handed it to me. Okay. <laughs> and she said, then go sit down. They'll call your number in a minute. And so it was the end of all hope. And so I went and I sat down with my friend. And no, actually I went back and they, they had me lock up my belongings. And I put on a hospital gown. I was taken into another room. They gave me some pills. I don't know what the pills were. I signed a paper. And then I went into this living room type room that was in, or on this property somewhere. And in this living room, there were, there were couches and chairs. And I, there was only one other girl in there when I walked in there. And we didn't speak. We didn't look at each other. It wasn't like a normal waiting room. No one wanted to be there. And as I sat there, probably over an hour, hour and a half or something maybe, that room filled up. And when I say it filled up, it, it filled to overflowing. There, it, on every chair, someone was sitting, a young girl just like me at 19. And then by the time they started calling numbers, the girls were sitting on the arms of the couches. They were sitting on the floor. They were standing around the walls. Wow. And so when, they, when we finally, it was completely packed, no other girls could get in that room, they started calling numbers. And when they called my number, I got up and I made my way through that room and I had to step over girls and around girls to get back there. And it was the most excruciating, most regrettable mistake of my entire life was that moment. Jesus has healed me, but you never lose the regret. Wow. Wow. I should have a 35-year-old daughter right now. My arms ache to hold grandchildren that I don't have. And nobody tells you that part. Not only are you ending that life, but you're ending the entire bloodline that she was supposed to bring into your life. And nobody tells you that part. Nobody tells you that when you're 50, you're still going to have a life of regret. And so I had the abortion. It was quick. I want to say maybe 20 minutes, and it was over. It was horribly painful. It's surgery with no anesthesia. And so I could hardly walk afterward, but they had to get me out so the next girl could get in there. And so two nurses just kind of drug me and, and like, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if I walked or if they carried me, but they took me into the recovery room, which was a room filled with beanbag chairs. And they laid me down on a beanbag chair. And I remember it was all the way over in the corner. And where I was laying from that vantage point, I can still see it so vividly. I saw the, I could see the entire room. And I remember 
as the room, the beanbag room filled up, I remember seeing those same girls that I saw in the other waiting room, like now they were coming in and nobody was talking. Nobody was looking at each other. Nobody was even catching the eye of another person. Some girls were crying. I was crying. Some were in a fetal position. Some were writhing in pain. It was a horrible place to be. And I, all I wanted was just out of there. So I finally, I could hardly even walk, and I got up. I found my friend, changed my clothes. We got out of there. And I have to admit, for the next few days, I, I was relieved. I'm not pregnant anymore. This is great. I'm not pregnant anymore. That's all I could think of. But then I would, I would have these flashbacks to being on that table and being in that room and it would just all come crashing back and it, it became more and more and more just heavier and heavier until the point that that the only thing I knew to fix it was to just numb my conscience wow. and so I started drinking and then the drinking wasn't enough so then I started doing drugs and then the drugs became heavier and heavier until I, I, I spent this seven-year period wow. just wanting to die just looking for ways to die I attempted suicide during that time, and I, I would drive as fast as I could down the road. I did drugs in massive amounts, thinking that this would be it. You know, if I just keep on and keep on and keep on, then this would be it, and I could, I could wake up from this hell that I was in. And I realize now the aftermath of, abor of abortion is so different from other problems because we were never created as women and as mothers to take the life of our children. We are created as women and mothers to nurture our children and protect our children. And so abortion goes against the very, the, the very nature of who God created us to be. So because he created us in his image to nurture and protect, he did not put in us the ability to handle the fact that we chose abortion for our children. So we don't have the spiritual, the mental, or the emotional capacity to deal with it on our own. That's why this type of healing needs a divine intervention to supernaturally heal from the inside out. And so that's why the aftermath, that's why you, we see now at Save One, which I'll explain in a minute, but that's why we see now so much of uh, so many of the men and women and families who come to us have a substance abuse problem because they've just, they've just numbed themselves out so they can't remember the pain. So I finally found my way to a Bible study. And it was all because I was driving down the road and AAA Women's Services, which is now Choices, which is now affiliated with Save One, uh, put on a radio commercial. And it was geared just to me, you know? It, I didn't just hear about that abortion is wrong. And you know, I had heard that. I knew it. I knew God was never going to accept me back because I, I served God as a child. And then I got away from him. But I knew he would never accept me back after what I had done. I was convinced of it. But then when they, when they put out that radio commercial that just said, we have this class for women who have been uh, uh, wounded by abortion and are suffering afterward. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there are others. You know, I was shocked that there are, is more than just me that is needing help after an abortion. And so I've, after three tries, I stood them up three times 
after I would make the appointment and then I would go out to my favorite bar and drink and, and just tell myself, that was stupid. Why do I think a class could help me? You know, that's the stupidest thing because I was thinking of only in the natural. And so finally, fourth time, I think my husband was about to drag me to there <laughs> because I, uh, we knew I needed help. So I finally went to this Bible study, and the women that encircled me gave me back my life. And I will forever be thankful that they loved me right where I was. I was a drugged out, just messed up little girl who didn't know <laughs> anything. And so I worked through that Bible study, and I immediately went to their volunteer training because I was so thrilled that they helped me, and they didn't judge me. They didn't make me feel worse than I already felt. And I wanted to give back, so I started volunteering at the center, and I worked there for two years, started teaching their abortion recovery classes. My, our family moved to Nashville. That was in 1992. We moved to Nashville in 94, and I kind of thought, okay, the, you know, my time in the pro-life movement is over. I spent two years, and I'm, I'm good. So we're going to move to Nashville, and we're not on drugs anymore. And, I, you know, I'm good. We have two little children, and I'm okay. And so I thought, there's no way I'm going to move to Nashville and rehash this whole story, the, the, you know, that drugged-out Sheila and, that was so messed up in Chattanooga. And so we got involved in a real big church up there, and we went there, and I just sat there silent, and it was tearing me apart. I did it for several years. I started, I, we would go, we still weren't real faithful to church, but we would go occasionally for the kids. And it was tearing me apart because I knew the statistics that one out of every three women of childbearing age has lost a child to abortion. Wow. And that means one out of every three men have lost fatherhood. And there's a family attached to every single one of those children. Wow. So when you think about those numbers, it's astronomical, the abortion wounded in our country. And so I finally went and I asked the pastor if I could teach this Bible study that I knew how to teach that I had taught for two years here in Chattanooga. And he said, yes, you can teach it. So the very first night I taught this class, there were 10 women who showed up, wow. which is a big abortion recovery class. So 10 women showed up, and on the very first night, I heard a woman say, if I could just save one unborn baby, I would be willing to tell my story. And when she said that, it was like all the, all the bells and whistles went off. You know, it was like, oh, my gosh, that I remember every class I taught in Chattanooga, somebody said that phrase. If I could just save one unborn baby, I would be willing to tell my story. And knowing firsthand because several people rejected me. I was, I was humiliated at times for telling my story. Knowing what she was risking, it got my attention. And I, I thought, okay, these women are willing to tell their stories, even if it just saves one unborn baby. And the Lord started showing me and downloading to me how these stories are so powerful. And that it's the stories of the, the devastated lives after an abortion that need a platform to get out to the, the people who need to hear the truth. Because the truth is what sets us free. The lies, what abortion is built on, is what keeps us in bondage. 
And so he started showing me like all this stuff and I, I was getting so excited and, and I started thinking like we need to develop some type of platform for these women to tell their stories. And so uh, he, the first thing he did was we, we got our nonprofit status. One of the girls, one of those 10 girls in the room said, well, it needs to be called Save One because that's what we're going to be doing. And so we were, you know, unanimous, and, and those 10 women formed my first board. We got our nonprofit status in 2000. One of the first things that God did was he had me start writing books. I wrote my own curriculum, the women's curriculum. Wow. And we started offering it. He started showing me how we could develop a training and duplicate ourselves and reach more people. And, and we were having success. And, and like from 2000 to 2003, we were just churning out the women. And then all of a sudden, I got a, a curveball. And a man came to me and said, can I go through the women's wow. Bible study? And you know that's some pain if a man wants to go through a women's Bible study. So, I, and I had promised God from the beginning that I will go wherever, speak to whomever, and do whatever it takes to get the job done, and that is to see abortion illegal in our country. And so I, I knew what I had promised God, so I didn't even have to pray about it because I knew I had to keep my promise. I will speak to whomever. So that included men. And it was mind-blowing to me, like, really, a man wants to, you know, they suffer after an abortion? Because I feel like we were trained to believe that this is just a woman's issue. Because we, the, the other side knew how powerful a man's voice is to a woman. And they took that voice away from us and left these women out here making a choice we were never created to make. And vulnerable in a position without the men who are supposed to be protectors. And we've raised an entire generation of men to believe they shouldn't say anything that it is her body and her choice, so I can't say anything. And what has happened to these men in our country is unconscionable. So he came through the class, great success, and I thought, okay, one man out of this church of four or 5,000 at the time. And so <laughs> the next time we offered the class, the word started getting out that a man had gone through wow. the women's class because he was being very vocal and open about it. So the next time we offered the class, another man asked to go through the class, and then God had my attention. So I, I wrote the men's study to mirror the women's study. We started having success with men. In 2018, we pastored a church for 11 years. 2018, the Lord led us to, to resign the church and do Save One full time. It was a huge step of faith. When we brought Jack, my husband, on board to be the men's director, he rewrote the men's book from a man's standpoint. Now we are an arm of promise keepers. We have all these men who are coming forward wanting to be healed and be a part of things. It's been amazing. The men are getting their voice back and recognizing that they can speak up and protect the life of their children. So then we started having grandparents want to come through the class. So then I wrote a third Bible study called The Ripple Effect. And it's for, for families, for siblings, for people who are, who are on the outside of an abortion experience that need healing and forgiveness and, and to forgive the person who chose abortion. I saw my two sisters grieve their niece that they never even knew about till it was too late. So anyway, we, uh, it's been a... Um, we have 
just been rocking and rolling for the last 20 years. It has been amazing. I told somebody the other day, I feel like I've caught the tail end of a comet and I'm hanging on. Uh, because now over 20 years we have grown this company and it's not because we're some you know marketing geniuses it's because of the great need that we have we now have this nonprofit organization that is a global entity we're in 24 different countries 34 states here in America with 285 chapters around the world and it's simply churches and pregnancy centers who are saying you know what we we preach against the sin of abortion which we should but we've got to follow that up with healing. And then healing becomes, that those that are healed become the greatest advocates for life, the greatest volunteers at our churches and at our pregnancy centers, and they become the ones who know the truth and can tell the truth to the public. And so I truly believe it is through abortion recovery we will end abortion in our country and around our world. So I'm going to go back to the beginning of your story and just work through it. And again, I just thank you for your transparency. Um, and I think it's important what you said, um, that you're healed. Um, but it's kind of like a scar. You know, healing doesn't mean the memory leaves us. I wish we had that attribute of God <laughs> where we could forget stuff and that the regret, you know, doesn't leave. And and I think it's important for women to understand, even as we're making laws about abortion, uh, that when we determine the age that our children can decide to drink or they can get a driver's license, you know, those are based on their ability to make decisions that could affect their life. Um, but yet with abortion, we do feel like young girls can make that decision. And you kept alluding to the fact that, you know, you were here but that counseling would have helped. Um, and the reason why I want to hit on this issue is because we do have to be creative as a church in how we think about abortion. The goal can't just be overturning Roe versus Wade. And, you know, this is a, an issue that we need to discuss until abortion ends. How can we reach women um, with unbiased advice and truth that actually equips them for a decision that will affect the rest of their life? And you clearly let us know that was not offered, you know, when you got your abortion. The movie Unplanned shows that it's still not offered in an unbiased way. But let's pretend you are the counselor today and that there are women watching that are thinking about abortion or we do have an audience of young girls that we hope aren't there yet, but, you know, even good God-fearing girls can find themselves in a fearful situation. What piece of advice do you think a counselor could have said to you when you walked through those doors that might have made you change your mind? And what counsel, you can just look right at the camera and say it, would you say to a young lady that was in the same position you were afraid and, and not sure what to do? Well, if I were the counselor to a young girl, I would just say there is life after this. You can't just think about your life right now. You have to think about your 30-year-old self, your 40-year-old self, your 50-year-old self, and the fact that you will carry this for the rest of your life. What are the stories that you want to tell your grandchildren that you're proud of? I have met so many women who have, have made an adoption plan for their children, and those are stories they can be proud to tell their grandchildren. This is not a story I am proud to tell to anyone. No one told me that I would have to sit down one day and tell my two young sons what their mother did. No one tells you about those, those um, circumstances, those consequences. 
And so don't think that an abortion ends your problems. It only opens up a whole new set of problems that you are not equipped to deal with because it was not placed within you to do this to your child. And so there are options. There are so many options that I did not know. I justified my abortion thinking that the Supreme Court wouldn't have made it legal if it was bad. So I felt bad, but I kept thinking, well, they're much smarter than me, so they must know. Go to an authority who can tell you the truth. Go to someone who has had an abortion and let them tell you their story and find out. Or, uh, talk to someone who had their child as a young as a young mother and someone who had an abortion and compare the two. Do your research and don't just think because there may be an abortion clinic in your town that it is safe because abortion clinics are less are less. Um, uh, what's the word, uh, regulated than tattoo parlors and veterinarian clinics. There are, are, are some clinics who haven't been regulated or inspected or in, uh, inquired of in 10, 20, and 30 years. And so make sure that where you're going, don't just think because they have doctor at the front of their name that they are for you. Because if they are an abortionist, they're not for you. Therefore, making money. This is truth being exposed. And we talked about how um, darkness is not just evil. It's not just the cult world. Darkness is a lack of knowledge and a lack of truth. And, um, you know, you alluded to it and you can see it. They've seen the plaques here that even the pro-choice uh, pro movement was founded on lies and that so many still exist. And I think what Sheila has pointed out, if you're watching this and you're a legislative uh, person in, in a, a, a position of authority for legislator or a ruler in any way, leader in your community, if, if you have a, a voice to advocate for pro-life, this is a real issue that if, if the pro-choice movement is so confident in their product, then they should not fear the truth. And that if young girls are going to be allowed to have abortions, there should be legislation that requires them to go through correct courses of education. They should watch the procedure. Um, they should be educated on what's done to their body. They should hear both sides. They should hear the testimony of someone who's had it done as well as someone who's chosen life. They should be presented all options. If you are truly for women's rights, then surely you are for women's education. Um, and if you are a believer and you say, Pastor Devin, you can't legislate righteousness, then why do we have laws against murder? Why do we have laws against theft? Our nation is filled with laws that are about righteousness righteousness. Um, but when it comes to the pro-life movement, what she said was important. Um, you may think just having a choice doesn't influence young girls, but it is a deception making them think it is safe and okay um, because laws approve it um, and the government approves it and it is the least from being safe and okay. So I just want to point that out. If you have a voice of influence, let's let's pass some um, motions and some laws that require proper education, um, that require um, a proper a truth and communication to go to women who are receiving abortion. I want to jump to something else you said um, as you went through the procedure. You know, you talked about the, the painful procedure it was and that for a couple days um, it felt better, um, but then it didn't. And I'm going to ask you a really simple question that, but you can answer as, as, as with whatever story you want. Um, you sought an abortion as a solution to a problem in your life, a real problem. You know, a young girl being pregnant no one's going to argue that that's not a problem. It's a scary thing. 
but did it provide the solution that you were led to believe it would? Did abortion solve your issue? Uh, well, it made me unpregnant. So when you look at it like that, I guess it did. It made me unpregnant. But what I had no idea was that I would live for 35 more years as of this year with the regret and the pain. So even though it made me unpregnant, I would cut off my right arm to have my daughter here with me. And instead, she is, she's a plaque on this wall wow. and signified by a rock out here that she lost her life on this property. So yeah, I would, I would give anything to have her here. So I think based on Sheila's answer, if you, um, you do support pro-choice or you're a person considering an abortion, I think any solution that creates more problems is not a legitimate solution at all. And I think you need to hear the truth by what she said. It may solve a temporary issue, but it only creates much more. And um, that is not a choice for freedom for women. That is giving a woman a choice for a great life of bondage. Um, and I want you to hear that truth. Um, I want to go back to something else she said. We actually included this in our prayer meeting last week, and you didn't even know it. Um, but this memorial is filled with letters from fathers, um, messages from fathers, and um, there's a great injustice being done in this nation um, against fathers. Um, you know, choice for life is actually in the process of conception. Um, and especially, you don't have to tell me in the life and the ministry that I do with human trafficking, I understand there are scenarios where that choice is taken away from a woman. I mean, that's a hideous crime. Um, but less than 1% of abortions are due to rape or incest. So don't think for a moment that the abortion industry is freeing women who have been the victims of rape. That is a very, very small percentage um, of these women. And I, I shared with you, I can bring you stories, and I think I'm going to. I think we're going to do an episode with a couple women if they're bold enough to tell the healing that it brought them. Um, but so if we excuse um, right now from the conversation, if we move from the conversation when a woman's choice is taken away from her to conceive and we make conception a choice, um, if, if it takes two to conceive and without consent of both, that is considered a crime. Someone in legal standing in this nation needs to explain why the termination of that life without the consent of both is not a crime. And I think that we have to honor fathers. And so um, I don't know if you want to expound on that, even maybe some things that we can do to be a voice for fathers. Um, if you have personal stories you want to share of men, but, but the movement for women's rights and abortion has totally removed the voice of fathers. Um, and not all men are evil, ladies. Not all men are evil. And so I want you just to share a little bit more about that because I think it needs to be highlighted. Oh, absolutely. We have many, many stories of men who have come forward and dealt with their past abortion experiences. Um, just to reiterate something that you said, that they have lost their voice. There, as of this taping, there is not one law on any book in any state that helps a man protect the life of his own child. Wow. And so we, you know, if it was the other way around and, and he was calling for, you know, I want this child or, or he was like just saying, oh, forget it. I don't want to be a part of this. Then he's called a deadbeat dad. But when she, like myself, when I had an abortion, I was applauded for exercising my right to choose. And so it's such a double standard, but we have story after story of men who come in and they may have flippantly 
paid for three or four abortions in college. And then when they have their own children, then it hits them. This is what I've done. Look at all these children that could have been, that I could have had. And now it is still so much from you because he can't see joy in his own children because all he can think about is what he did back there. Or we have men who come in who just sat quietly because they have been told and brought up to think, I can't speak to this issue because they've been hushed and said, you know, you have no rights here. And so, and then we have the men who had nothing to do with the abortion. They begged their wife or, or girlfriend not to have it, and they went ahead and had the abortion. So it's, it's all over the board. But when they realize what has happened, when the blinders are taken off, the pain is the same. And so when they come and they get healing, they recognize like, oh, this is a place I can bring this grief and I can get my voice back. And so men are starting to speak up, even though they're shouted down, they're yelled at. I've heard horrible things said to men, to fathers who are trying to fight for the life of their children, or they're speaking up on behalf of the unborn. And, and it's just unconscionable what has been done to men. So I have loved seeing that the men are coming forward and that they are becoming bold because we need the men in this issue. We invite them back into this issue. Just real quick, one quick story. The second man who came through, the, the one who was the catalyst for me to write the men's study, he was a big burly guy, the gas man on one of the NASCAR teams. So, I mean, you can imagine, he jumped across the wall and put the gas in the car. So anyway, he, I remember back then the, the book that we used was pink and it had flowers on the front, okay, for women. And his hands were all stained black. He was a white guy, but his hands were black because he always was in the oil and working in the car and stuff. And so I remember when he reached out his hand to take the book and I laid that pink flowered book in that masculine hand I remember just thinking, he needs, he deserves more than this, than a pink book with flowers on the front for questions for women. But he would drive sometimes overnight because he drove the rig that carried the car too. He would drive sometimes overnight to make it back to class because we had, you meet every week and then discuss the next chapter. And so sometimes he would just sit there and, and usually five or six weeks into the class, the women are starting to get it and their countenance is changing and, the, and Jesus is healing them. And it's so wonderful to see, but he would just sit there and he, it, when it would come to him in the circle, he would say, but I did nothing. That's all he would say. And when it would get to him, she was getting it. She was getting, you know, and here he's the only man in this women's Bible study. And he would say, but I did nothing. And he would wipe the tears off his chin. And it was because I learned so much from this man. It is because he was told all his life through the media, through legislators, that he was supposed to sit down and shut up. Here he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant, and here she he and in the the class he kept saying she kept asking me what do you want me to do and as a woman I know she was wanting him to come to her rescue she was wanting him to say oh I want you to keep this let's make a life together let's you know or whatever but she was wanting him to speak into this and he kept saying it's your choice honey. It's your choice. Inside, he was wanting her to choose life. He wanted that child, but she chose abortion. 
and and it is by design that the the other side did that. They were ingenious in taking the man's voice out of this issue. And so to see him so distraught, it helped me to realize where a man is coming from. They have been taught, we have literally raised an entire generation of men to believe that they can't speak to this issue, and they can. And so we want them to speak up. We want men to get their boldness back when it comes to this issue and this injustice that's happening to women and to children. I think it's so cool because she's hitting on no man's land, which we talked about in our video. And uh, we went to that movie Wonder Woman uh, where she steps on no man's land. And when she takes the fire, the men are able to storm the field. And men... Um, the men need to step into this fight, but it's going to take women like you, Sheila, uh, women with influence that open the door for that. We're the ones who shut the door, and we're going to have to open the door for that regardless of the criticism. You know, this is not a fight for the faint of heart by any means, um, uh, but for those who really care for life. So, Sheila, I want to ask you a question. You said something that's really important. You said that uh, in the natural, a woman doesn't really have the apparatus to grieve or know how to deal with this process because it's so against our nature. You know, we're made to be caretakers and nurturers. And, and when a woman chooses abortion, she's opened her heart, mind, and emotions to something she just does not have the apparatus to comprehend. Um, but you also let us know, you know, your, your daughter has been honored here. She is on this wall, which means between that day of choosing an abortion until that day she was honored on this wall, something changed, you know, something changed. And I want you uh, just to tell us, you know, was it a moment? Was it something the Lord spoke, something someone said? Do you remember your moment when the light flipped on and a, and a chain was broken off your life? Well, it was when I went through that Bible study. It was God's word. It wasn't anything magical that those women did. It was being in that room, and I had so isolated myself and made myself believe, because there was no way I was telling anybody. I, I hardly would tell or talk to my husband about it. But I had so isolated myself, I thought I was the only one that suffered, because what I was hearing in the media was that this was a good choice for me, but what was happening on the inside was not computing. And so to sit in that, that small group of women, and, and the, on the very first night we were together, they were telling my story. Like the things that they had gone through, I had gone through. And it so validated all this, those seven years of pain that I lived with, thinking that there was no hope for me. And so hearing their stories made all the difference in the world. Because then it's like we were bonded. We were in the trenches together. And our leader took us through Bible verses. And it was like the, the and it's what Save One does now. We focus those, the, the word of God like a laser beam on that wound that abortion leaves you with. And he is what heals them. The word of God is what heals them. We are just there to, to discuss, to talk, to be a crying shoulder. This isn't counseling. It is simply a Bible study. And that's what turned, what flipped the switch. I knew enough about God's word that if I asked for forgiveness, he would forgive me. And so it became a mantra for me. Every time I would have a flash 
flashback. Every time I would have a nightmare, I would ask God, oh, please forgive me. Oh, God, please forgive me. Oh, please forgive me, God. I mean, for seven years, and it, it never would take, but it was because I couldn't forgive myself. And it was through that Bible study that I was able to forgive myself and recognize that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to forgive the sin of abortion. That I, and it's actually a matter of pride because I was holding it up as more than the cross. Wow. The cross didn't, didn't cover that. There was something more that Jesus had to do for me. And so when I realized that I could lay this at the foot of the cross and I can be forgiven and I can walk into that abundant life Jesus came to give me, then I, that, I think that's what flipped the switch at that moment because that was, that was the sticking point. I could not forgive myself. So realizing that I could was just, was the key. Yeah. Okay. I'm so full of questions. I know we won't be able to do them all today, but um, there are a lot of leaders that watch this, a lot of pastors' wives and ministry leaders out there and that are a part of this group, and, and they're passionate, and just like me, you know, and I want you uh, just to look at yourself, Sheila, through the lens of who you were after having had an abortion um, and, and beginning to journey down that healing process. And, you know, the church has to be a voice for life, but we also have to be a place of healing. And I just want you to look at that camera and pretend you're talking to pastors and pastors' wives all over the nation. What can we do to um, bring truth and also bring healing to be a house that you would have felt comfortable attending as a woman who had had an abortion. What can leaders do? Well, the first thing that we have to do as pastors and leaders in the church is recognize that this is a, an epic problem in your church. Wow. We can't any longer think that this is just happening out there. This is happening like to the minorities or the poor people, you know, like labeling. It's not. There is not a family in any of our churches. We've actually had 62 million abortions happen in our country since Roe versus Wade. So when we, we average that out, there is not a family in our churches that is not affected by this one sin. And so when you look at those numbers, we can't, you know, you may, as a pastor, sometimes I run across pastors and they may know of one or two people in their, in their church of 500 who have had an abortion, so they don't think it's a big problem. But it is a problem, recognizing the, the gargantuan numbers of people who are affected by abortion in your, in your church is what we have to address first. Once we recognize that this is a problem and, and our church is not operating on all cylinders when we have this many broken and hurting people that don't feel like they can turn to their church for help because we're not talking about this issue. And so by, by talking about the sin of abortion, following it up with healing, and recognizing that getting these people healed fixes marriages, will we'll lower the divorce rate, we will stop substance and alcohol abuse, we will bring back the value of life, which leads to, to human trafficking, which leads to what's happening in our country right now. Why are we surprised? Because we devalued life. And so when we look at the symptoms of a lot of men who come to us, are un, it's like they have uncontrollable anger issues, which oftentimes leads to domestic violence. 
what is happening in our homes with domestic violence. So many of the ailments of our society are attached to this one issue. And so when we start dealing with this issue, putting it at the forefront in our churches, then the ailments of our society will start to heal naturally because we are putting the families back together and the marriages back together and the, the people, the individuals, because the word says if one of us is hurting, the whole body hurts. But when one of us gets victory, everybody comes together in victory. And so it, while these people are healed and sitting in our seats every week, feeling like they can't turn to their church, then, then the church is fragmented. And so when we start to address this one issue, pastors are absolutely amazed the people who come out of the woodwork and start talking openly, but they don't feel like they can until we start addressing this from the pulpit and talking about it. I truly believe, and I said this a few minutes ago, that it is through abortion recovery. It is the greatest deterrent to abortion that we have. And God gave us a scripture, if you don't mind, God gave us a scripture that lays out for us how we're going to end abortion. It's Revelation 12:11 that says we overcome him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so when we raise this army of truth tellers that are, are covered by the blood of the lamb and they are telling their testimonies to the public, we become more powerful than the enemy. And the enemy has had the abortion issue locked up in his grip for more than 40 years in our country and it's time for it to end. And it will end by the stories of the people. Wow, wow, wow. Sheila is prophesying right now. If you don't know when the spirit shifts from I'm telling a story to prophesying, and I think this is even humbling for me to hear Sheila as a pastor and a leader. Um, we've got to talk about these issues. Silence is what the enemy reigns in um, and a lack of knowledge. And I think what's powerful about this is that I love speaking out for pro-life and I love speaking against human trafficking and the opioid crisis is just bothering me right now. I'm not even sure what to do about it. But what I have seen is that injustice is like a spider's web. It's all connected. And uh, we've got to get to the root of the issue. And I think what Sheila is uh, bringing up here is the root. We've got to de uh, deal with, and it's the devaluing of human life and the shedding of innocent blood. And those things are foundational things God created us to honor that our society is dishonoring. And it, it is bringing the fruit of injustice in so many areas. Um, but as a leader, I think what's humbling to hear is that I'm using my voice uh, for pro-life, but I've, I've never personally experienced an abortion. And I don't even know that it's going to be my voice that ends it, but what you said is so powerful. It's leaders' voices empowering the body. That's what the fivefold ministry does, remember? We don't serve ourselves. We equip the body. It's my voice. It's, it's other leaders' voices equipping that army that is literally sitting in their congregations, immobilized, ill-equipped, and it's going to be those women who have been victimized by abortion who will end up being the one seeing Roe versus Wade overturned. Um, and so I just think, for leaders who are watching, because men do sneak in and watch this too. Um, 
it's time to mobilize that army and use uh, the equipping anointing God has given you for the other Sheilas sitting in the congregations uh, that need to do something. And so I want Sheila just to tell us how we can get involved with a Save One. Again, I'm going to post this, and she didn't ask for this. Uh, she came just to share her story. And like I said, just it's phenomenal, ladies, that I'm, I'm sitting with a woman of God who came to this place for an abortion, came to this place uh, for healing, came to this place to honor life, and is now in this place telling her story to an army of women who didn't know. Again, her voice is being used to mobilize, and this is just an honor. Um, she just came to do that, but I want to tell you her heart is sincere. Her, anoint, her anointing is, is, I can feel it sitting in this chair. Her mission is God-ordained, and we would, we would counted a great dishonor not to have the ability to partner and be a part. You know, you may not be called to go out and stop abortion, but you are called to be a part of the issue, maybe by giving prayer and support. So she didn't ask for this, but I know this is what the Spirit of the Lord would want me to do. Um, you may be starting your own life ministry, and that's great, but if you're not a part of one or starting one, I want to tell you, save one is what you need to be a part of. If you're a woman who needs healing, Sheila, I want you to tell them how they can access these Bible studies. If you're a pastor's wife and you're like, I can do a Bible study. You know, I can, maybe they need the material. If you're a person who maybe you paid your $250 for an abortion or your $500 for an abortion, sow it, sow it for life, sow it to save one. If you're like, what do I give? Give whatever amount you gave to terminate life, sow it to save one. Sheila's saving lives. You might be saving a young woman from the pain of abortion. She mentioned choices, which is attached right here. If you're a woman in this city and you need counseling about abortion, they're not going to force you to do anything, but show up right here at Choices. Make an appointment. Uh, these people will give you the facts you need, the support you need. I have watched them help women buy nursery equipment and pay for medical bills, and uh, it's right here. And if there's not a place like that in your city, make one, create one, uh, build an army of influencers that will do that. So Sheila, just tell us a little bit more about Save One. Maybe someone wants you to come speak. Maybe they want your material. Do you do online classes? You know, what would you say to women so they can get involved? Uh, well, you go to saveone.org, saveone.org. That's our website. It is packed full of, of articles and things that they can look at and read and learn more about us. But we just simply want churches and pregnancy centers doing abortion recovery. We want that to be the first place people turn to for help, not the bars like what I did. So we, uh, we just want you to do an abortion recovery. So we have made it as simple as possible. To be a chapter of Save One, to be an officially recognized chapter of Save One, you have to be in a standalone ministry in a church or in a pregnancy center just teaching our curriculum. Uh, it's all free of charge. The only cost for the, 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 to be a chapter is the cost of the book. And what most churches will do is purchase the books and then charge each participant so the participants have some skin in the game. So uh, what we want you to do is either just get trained, find your leader who you think would be good to teach the Bible study. They don't necessarily have to have an abortion in their past, just a heart for this issue, and teach the Bible studies. We offer training either in, the, either in person, which is my favorite thing to do because we have a lot of fun at our trainings, but it's an all-day, like, 9 to 3 training, and we have it also on flash drive where you can access our, um, our training videos, or we have an online training, which we just did a, a huge online training yesterday. We had six different nations involved with 32 people online on a Zoom call for three and a half hours. So uh, we, we've made every 
inch of this as easy as possible. We have an entire staff that covers the United States. So Tennessee, we have to have two coordinators who cover all the chapters because we have so many chapters in Tennessee. Uh, and Choices is one of our chapters. But here in Chattanooga, we need 10 chapters to, to help all the people, 10, 20, 30 chapters here in Chattanooga to cover the people who are abortion wounded walking around. So, you know, having 285 chapters around the world is just a drop in the bucket for what we need. We want every church teaching Save One curriculum, and, which is just a Bible study. So the beauty of these Bible studies is the men's, the women's, and the ripple effect all mirror each other. So you don't have to hold three different abortion recovery groups. You hold one, and you invite everybody to that group. Anyone who is affected or traumatized by the choice of abortion can come and study together and heal together. And so it's just a beautiful process. And that seat, the leader's seat, is addictive because you see firsthand the healing that God does in lives, and it's absolutely beautiful. So we've just made it very simple. You can access us. You can get all our reaches, these these uh, cool T-shirts that say Love Life. We have four different colors. Um, but you can get T-shirts, bracelets, and then all our books are available at saveone.org. So if Mike Jennings was in this interview, I would have to ask him this. And, and Sheila, it just blows my mind to think, how stupid was the enemy? Like, <laughs> that the Lord took what he meant to destroy you, and he has made you a deadly weapon against him. <laughs> and just sitting on this ground, I just laugh at the sovereignty of God, that he didn't choose me as a pastor's wife or, you know, the most qualified counselor down the street. He looked in this clinic even on the day that you say you regret the most. And he said, that one right there, I'm going to be able to use her. And he chose you and he anointed you. And I'm just honored to sit in this place with you. And, um, and I just, you know, I cannot imagine the lives that you're impacting and saving. And I pray you inspire that other women hearing this will take up that mantle with you and that you perpetuate that, you know, um, to other women. And isn't that amazing to sit here with her and think, wow, only God. And so I hope that this encourages you, the women out there who have been silent by shame, guilt, condemnation, fear. Can you see why the enemy is trying to keep you silent? Can you see? why he's so terrified of you ever having the confidence to tell your story and let God heal you. And I just want to break shame and condemnation and guilt off of you. That muzzle just comes off your mouth in the name of Jesus. And I will encourage you as a spiritual leader, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the church not only should stop shaming you, the church needs to recognize how much we need you and how much we need your voice and the women and the men in this nation. We actually need you. Uh, for such a time as this. And I pray that this story has encouraged you uh, to find healing. You got to be healed first. Sheila told me that. You got to be healed first. Uh, walk this journey first and then turn and help others. It's like on the airplane when they say, put your oxygen mask on before helping others. But I just want um, to release Sheila now just to pray over you, the women watching, leaders, those who have had abortions, those that whatever the spirit leads you. I just want you to continue to prophesy. And then I want you to be connected with her. And I'm just going to tell you right now, um, I feel the Lord said that to do this in my spirit. I don't know how or when with uh, everything going on with COVID, but we're not worried at our church. I don't know what your schedule is. Um, 
I want to host something for those of you that are a part of this group, leaders in this area, if you can drive and get here. I would love to host one of those trainings, empower you to pour into as many people as you can, um, and let this just be a hub and a place. And what we could do is even make it a special day where all of you, we bring you here. Those of you that can travel to Tennessee and let you see this place. Um, I think that would be a phenomenal day, and I'm willing to fund and host that, and so we'll work on that. Um, So I just want Sheila to pray for you now, and then maybe this won't be the last time we talk to her or Mike Jennings or others that were affected by this place. So I'm just going to let you pray now, okay? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you for your presence here, and we thank you for this holy ground. We thank you for the pioneers and the the brave army who came ahead of us, who took this land back for you. Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray a huge harvest in their lives. And Lord, I pray right now that as we have spoken, that you have opened up doors of favor, that you've opened up doors in hearts and minds who thought they were closed off forever that they had that compartmentalized, that they had that moment of time locked away, Lord, that you have opened that door and show them how you are taking them by the hand and pulling them out and saying, you know what, it's time to deal with this part of your past, that it can no longer hold you in bondage, that that you want them to live that abundant life that you came to give them. And so, Lord, show them the future. Show them in a vision or a dream what their life is like without this being a part of it anymore. Dissolve that anger, dissolve that grief, dissolve that desire for a substance to incorporate into their life instead of you. Show them how you can fill those voids, how you can fill that darkness in their life. And so, Lord, I pray right now that everyone within the sound of our voice on the internet or wherever they're hearing this, Lord, that you are touching their life right now and you are either bringing healing and a desire for healing into their life to take that action, that step toward healing, Lord. You can do things in an instant, but sometimes we just need that process to take off each layer after layer so our finite minds can understand the power and the anointing and the the boldness that you have to offer us. And so, Lord, I pray that you are prompting hearts right now to start chapters, that you're prompting hearts to sow into this memorial, that you're prompting hearts to start pregnancy centers or start to volunteer at the pregnancy center or come to to the, the, uh, the uh, Wallace's church, Lord. I pray whatever you're doing to prompt those hearts, to open the doors, to give them the boldness, the loudness, the favor that you only you can bring. So, Lord, we, we love you. We praise you, we thank you, and we pray all of this in the mighty and powerful, matchless, strong name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you again, Sheila, for your incredible testimony. This is the beginning of something beautiful, and thank you for watching. This will not be the last time you get to hear stories like this, and I pray it moves you to action today. God bless you.